turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 118. We'll be in Exodus 20, once again reading verses 1 through 21. If you're wondering why we're reading the same verses over and over again every week, uh, there is a method to my madness. Uh, number one, it is a whole. It is We are not looking at individual commandments. We are looking at the Ten Commandments. And the second reason is that repetition leads to uh, the Word being just driven into our hearts and into our minds. And as we read through these passages, uh, what are we at, like uh, seven times so far, um, and, a, and a few more to go, uh, the Lord will work through just the repetition of the Word and it will become part of us as we see it and read it over and over again. So please read with me as we begin in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let us pray. Our God and Father, our Lord above, to the great lawgiver, as we turn now toward your word and to the preaching of your word, I ask several things. I ask that you give me words. I ask that you give your spirit to these people so that they might hear you in my words. And I ask that we leave this place today changed, convicted in some spots, lifted up in others, but in all reminded that the gospel covers us as we seek to live according to your law. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Life is precious. As one modern rock artist says, life is beautiful. 
And we live in a culture that does feel in some ways that life is precious. We seek to adjust our way of life. We seek to adjust where we build. We seek to adjust what we build to protect things like trees and bats and bears and cats. I have a friend who recently began a nonprofit to help rescue and care for feral cats. She goes out, she traps feral cats, she takes them, she has them spayed and neutered. If they are tameable and trainable, she'll adopt them out. If not, she re-releases the spayed and neutered feral cats because she loves life. But as much as our culture seeks the preservation of non-human life, I think uh, that we have it kind of messed up when it comes to human life. And we miss the boat on that. And so today we're going to address that as we look at the seventh or the sixth commandment. Before we look specifically at the sixth commandment, I want us to back up just a little bit and remind ourselves of the context of these ten commandments. We're shifting gears from love of God to love of neighbor. And as we look at these commandments, the first four and the, the, yeah, the first four, excuse me, the first five actually reference who it is who is giving us these commandments. Whether it's reminding us that we should have no other gods before Yahweh, whether it's reminding us that we should not try to form an image of the Creator God, whether it's reminding us not to misuse the name of the Lord our God or to remember His day by keeping it holy or honoring our father and mother so that God can reward us. God is mentioned in each of the first five commandments, but not so much in the last five. And it's easy for us to forget the context of who it is that's giving it these commandments and why He's giving them to us. He gives us who He is and why He's giving them to us in Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In the immediate context for the Israelites, God has just rescued them from several decades, a couple centuries of slavery in the land of Egypt. And he says, I've brought you out. I've brought you out by miraculous works. You know, the ten plagues that finally convinced Pharaoh to let them go. The miraculous work of, of opening up the sea so that they could cross through on dry land. And he's brought them there to Mount Sinai and he's, he has revealed his glory in the thunder, in the trumpet, in the fire, in the great voice that has descended upon Mount Sinai. And he says, I have redeemed you from slavery. Therefore, obey me. Remember, we talked before about this is not God giving these rules for them to follow so that he will save them. God has already saved them, so he has given them rules to follow. God has already redeemed them. But there's a larger context in which these commandments are given as well, and we need to remember that also. In fact, it is the foundation of the commandment which we are going to look at today. And that's the context that's given to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. After creation, God has created light and He's filled the light with sun, moon, and stars. God has created uh, dry land and ocean and He has filled the dry land with plants and animals, the oceans and the skies with birds and fish. And at the end of it all, He says, let us create man in our image. 
Remember, each and every one of us, each and every human being is created in the image of God. We reflect God in many ways. God is a loving God. We are people who love. God is a God who knows things. We are people who seek knowledge. God is a God of righteousness, and we were created righteous and holy, set apart. So each and every human being has a, has a, 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 a foundation of dignity to who they are. Each of us has dignity because we are created in the image of God. But of course, God is giving us laws because we've broken that image in sin. Adam and Eve grasped after knowledge that was not theirs, that they could not handle. And in doing that, they rebelled against God. They set themselves up on the throne that only God deserves to inhabit. And they sinned and broke themselves, broke the world uh, through their sin. And so that is the other foundation that we have to remember as we look at the law of God is that God has redeemed and also that we are created by God as his image. So what is the commandment which we were looking at today in the original language? This is a very simple two word sentence. Actually, it would be a sentence fragment. In the original language, this simply says, no murder. Um, throughout the years, this has been translated as kill. If you're reading in the, the King James Version, it's thou shalt not kill. But the idea here is not killing per se, but planned and premeditated murder. Alistair Begg says that this commandment forbids the deliberate, malicious, and unlawful taking of a life. Uh, we, we apply this to war sometimes and we look at this and we say that that soldiers uh, in, in the pursuit of a just war and we could argue what a just war is later that's been done for centuries. But a soldier uh, following the commands of an officer in a just war is exempt from this. Scripture gives exemptions for accidental death of a person. Uh, in the latter portion of Exodus, God will make provisions for those who are responsible for the accidental death of another person. You're driving down the road and, and uh, you run a stop sign and unfortunately somebody loses their life. There are provisions for things like that. There are provisions for the defense of someone's home or family. So this isn't killing per se, it's murder, that premeditated murder. We live in a world tainted by sin, we live in a world that God makes provisions, but God forbids murder. In Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, Noah is there with God. He has sacrificed to God, and God reiterates the command or reiterates the declaration that we are created in the image of God. And he says, Therefore, do not take another human life, because if you do, the life of the murderer will be forfeit. This is grounded, this is given to us uh, on the foundation of humans created in the image of God. So what are some modern op applications of this particular commandment? Well, the first application, of, of course, is that, that, mortar, that murder is wrong. Murder by mortar is wrong as well. Premeditated, planned taking of a life is forbidden by this commandment. Abortion is forbidden by this commandment. 
Abortion is the planned, premeditated taking of the life. In our, in our most recent arguments over this, most supporters of abortion have dropped the facade that life does not begin at conception. Most of them will admit, in fact, the largest majority of them will admit that yes, that is a life. But they skirt around the issue by saying it's not a person because it can't exist independently of the mother. And so they will admit that it's a life. They will admit that it's a taking of a life. But since it's not a person, it is justified. Another modern application of this commandment that is unfortunately becoming a bigger and bigger reality in our world is the, quote, dying with dignity. Euthanasia actually finds its exact same root in justification as abortion does. The denial of human beings as being created in the image of God. It's sold to us as the elimination of a burden. The person is sick. The person is suffering. The person is dying. They are a burden upon us. Let's help them eliminate that burden. The person is not a burden. The person will never be a burden because the person is created in the image of God. The disease may be a burden. The symptoms of the disease may be a burden, but we don't eliminate a human being because their symptoms are a burden. Most pain, most symptoms, most terminal illness, side effects, Upwards to 97%, that's the lowest number I was able to find of pain and symptom that can be controlled by medication and terminal illness. People are not a burden, and we can alleviate burden of disease process. We must resist our culture's rhetoric that tries to convince us that sick or old or depressed or unborn or poor people are such a burden that they need to be eliminated. They need to be destroyed. They need to be killed. Psalm 121 verse 8 says that God keeps our coming in and our going forth from this time forth even forevermore. God has created us. God has brought us into this world and it's up to God and God alone to hold life and death in His hands. Anything we do Anything we seek to do that takes that power away from him is blatant rebellion and treason against God. Whether it's murder, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, when we seek to take a life, we violate God's law by murdering. When we violate one commandment, we violate all the others. James 2.9 says that when we violate one of the smallest laws of God, we are guilty of violating them all. But let's be honest. I would hazard a guess most of us in here have never done any of those things. So how does this apply to us? How do we run with this in our daily life? Because we're not going to run out, hopefully, tomorrow and this afternoon even and murder somebody. How do we apply this to our daily life? How do we run with this? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You've heard it said, do not murder or you will be liable to judgment. And then he opens up the broad, he broadens and opens up this commandment. Derek Prime says that, quote, all sins that lead to murder and are the causes of it are forbidden in the sixth commandment. Anger. 
is a problem in our society. You see it. We joked in Sunday school today about social media and the, the getting rid of social media. We, we've talked before and lamented the fact that we have lost the ability to discourse in our culture. We've lost the ability to talk to one another without just getting frustrated and angry with them. Jesus says that anger is murder. See, the Pharisees and other religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken the law. They had taken these Ten Commandments and they had expanded them. But in expanding them, they had narrowed them. So they took the law on they took the law on remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And they said, "Okay, you cannot walk any further than a mile on the Sabbath day. That is work unless there's a meal at the end of that mile. If there's a meal at the end of that mile, you can walk another mile. If there's a meal at the end of that other mile, you can walk the next mile. So you go out on the day before Sabbath, you walk a mile from your house. You set a picnic basket on the side of the road so that you can walk two miles that day. What they did in expanding the law was they narrowed its, its focus to our outward actions and activities, completely ignoring the part that's really wrong with us. And what they did in murder was they basically said, OK, you've never killed anybody. You're good. Don't worry about that particular commandment. And Jesus said, no. You ever been frustrated with somebody to the point where you called them an idiot? Have you ever been frustrated with somebody to the point where you called them an even worse name? He said, you call them an idiot. You're guilty before the courts. You call them that worse name. You're guilty before God. We've all done it, haven't we? We've all been ultra frustrated, whether it's with work, whether it's at home, whether it's with a friend. They've said something to us, man, and it has just needled at us. It has just dug at us, man, I can't believe that's what they said. Oh, goodness, I'm going to get them. It's just, oh, man, we let it boil. We let it bubble within our hearts. Uh, several authors have called this anger that we hold inside, these grudges that we hold, poison that we drink, hoping the other person will die. Isn't that the root of murder? Isn't that where murder starts? It starts where somebody has just done something to us that we just can't let go of. And we may not physically interact with them in a way that destroys them, but man, that's what we wish, isn't it? Oh man, I am angry with him. I wish X would happen to him. I wish Y would happen to her. I wish her life would go so horribly that she just understands how bad I feel. And we wish for the destruction of a life. We don't destroy the life, but we wish for it. And Jesus says that puts you in danger of hell. That puts you in the danger of the judgment of God. But what did Jesus do? Jesus took the hatred. Jesus took the anger. The religious leaders for most of his ministry, we hear it over and over again. Jesus did such and such and the leaders plotted to kill him. Jesus did such and such, and the leaders at that point increased their plotting to kill him over and over again until finally they had the courage, if you will, to, to grab him, to arrest him, to falsely accuse him, to drag him before the Roman leader, to commit treason against God by saying Caesar is our only Lord, to have him murdered, literally murdered upon a cross. 
so that we could have forgiveness. So that we could know forgiveness for our anger and so that the Holy Spirit could pour into our lives and show us where that anger is murderous and where we need to be forgiven of it and cleansed of it and sanctified of it. Jesus took the abuse of every single commandment upon his body on the cross, upon the breaking, however, however that worked, of the breaking of the fellowship between Christ and his human nature and God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could be forgiven of murder. So that we could be forgiven of anger. So that we could be forgiven of hatred. So that we could be forgiven of the breaking of this commandment. It's amazing, isn't it? It's scary to know that my anger is murderous. But it's joyful to know that Christ has taken the murder of anger upon Himself. The punishment for my sin so that I might be forgiven. So that I might know grace. As we look at each of these laws, whether it's the first commandment, the last commandment, or the sixth commandment, it's important for us to understand these laws talk to the heart as much as they do to our actions. And I think murder is one that most of us are guilty of, but we don't realize it. Whether it's a quick name, whether it's a brooding grudge that we hold against each other, we're guilty of murder. And yet God forgives. So what's the positive of this law? Well, the positive of this law, of course, is that God has given us grace through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the positive aspect of this is that we are to seek in whatever way possible the flourishing of fellow human beings. We are to promote and respect life in every way possible. This includes how we treat people on social media. This includes how we think about people. This includes our interactions with people who disagree with us. You see, God has created each and every human being in, our, in His image. He has given us dignity. He has given us honor. And we are His creation. And God calls us to preserve the dignity of, and cultivate the dignity of every human being. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your law. The truth is that we fail it miserably. Yet you have provided for us the means of salvation. The means of salvation is not in us keeping the law. The means of salvation is in the fact that your son has already done that for us. And so forgive us for the breaking of your law. Forgive us for our anger. Forgive us for our grudges. Forgive us for our name calling. And forgive us for seeking the destruction of other life. Even if it's just in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, we love you. Help us to love the life of other people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.